Hello and welcome to the I Want To Be podcast. Today we'll be talking to Haley, who's a mental health therapist with her master's in social work, who's currently working in a prison. Let's jump in. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, Haley. We are super excited to talk to you. Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So let's jump right in. Tell us a little more about your career so far. Yeah, so I am a CSW, that's Certified Social Worker, um, which means I have my master's in social work. I just graduated in May of last year, 2020. Um, And for the past six or so months, I've been working as a therapist in corrections. So I work with female offenders in prison, uh, mostly just doing therapy and working on their treatment goals and plans and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I'm really new at this, but I love it so far. That's so awesome. What incredible work. So next question, what did you want to be when you were a kid? And are you proud of the person that you've become? Um, So I think when I was a kid, I remember wanting to be a teacher for a long time. Um, But by like the beginning of freshman year of high school, I was taking a psychology class and knew then that I wanted to work like in mental health. I was so intrigued by like all the different mental disorders and all those kinds of things. Um, So all throughout high school, I knew I wanted to be a therapist. I thought I wanted to be uh, a marriage and family therapist. Uh, but eventually I came across social work and that's the path I took. So I, you know, I am proud of who I've become. I think if I could go back in time and tell freshman Haley that like you did it, you became a therapist, I'd be really proud. And, uh, it's just kind of cool that I was somehow able to stay on track for so long. That's amazing. Uh, you're definitely in the smaller group of people who were able to stick with what they wanted to do since high school and for it to be such an amazing thing to do. So I think that's incredible. You're a lot closer to what your ninth grade self wanted to do than I was in ninth grade. So I think that's awesome. So you mentioned that you kind of knew your general career path since ninth grade, but when did you decide that you wanted to specifically focus on becoming a clinical social worker? Yeah, so I don't think I even knew what a social worker was until college. Um, You know, like, I don't know, I think I thought of social workers as like what a lot of social workers are, which is like casework. They do really amazing work, like with kids, for example, you think of like DCFS workers. So I never thought of it in the context of therapy. Um, but in one of my in, like psych intro classes, we had, it was a seminar and we had different people come in and talk about our careers. And uh, this woman came in and talked about social work. And I was just so intrigued from the beginning. And that day I literally decided like, this is what I want to do. I felt like it aligned with my values the best. It was exactly what I wanted, like with working with all populations, but especially focusing on more vulnerable populations. And so like literally that day I was like, okay, I'm going to be a social worker. And I figured out what I had to do. And, you know, I already knew I would have to go to grad school. So it wasn't like a surprise finding out I would have to do that to be a social worker. Um, So yeah, it just clicked. It just worked with me. That's so amazing. And so cool that you were able to like have that experience and just pinpoint in that moment, like, this is what I want to do. And then to be able to actually follow through on that, I think that's incredible. Okay. So talking more through the physical steps that it took you, how did you become a clinical social worker? What did you study and what were some of those key steps in getting you to where you are today? Yeah. So I studied psychology. Um, I never thought of studying anything other than that when I first started school, because I genuinely thought like that was the one path to becoming a therapist. And that's definitely not true. You could study anything really, but I think the best thing to study would be like psychology, sociology, 
I know a lot of people who did like human development or BYU has like family life studies and that was a good one too. Um, but yeah, really could do anything. Um, I minored in sociology as well because so my school BYU did not have a social work um, undergrad degree for whatever reason. So I felt like psychology plus sociology was the closest I could get to social work just because it covered micro like you know the humans and minds and all that kind of stuff as well as macro like social identities systemic racism etc cetera, etc cetera, right so i felt like it was a good combination i did the best i could um but truthfully like i had people in my master's program who were nurses i had a girl who was like an mba until she like totally changed track so like really i think what matters is that you're able to like take whatever prereqs the program wants, but more importantly, get as much experience as you can. Um, obviously you can't like be a therapist while you're getting your bachelor's degree, but you can volunteer. You know, I volunteered like in a battered women's shelter. I volunteered in a lot of like childcare places for low income families. I, um, oh, I volunteered at the state hospital, which is a mental hospital. You saw anything like that, any experience, any like social worker or therapist you could meet is good um social work is not as research-based as maybe some of the other fields like psychology um but i did participate on one research team with a professor and i felt like that gave me good experience and like gave me a recommendation letter for grad school and you know i think it was worth it but um i will say if research is not your thing social work is definitely a good <laughs> direction to go to because it's just not as research-based as some other Totally. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's super interesting to hear about your path and some of those big things that you had to work on and do to get you to where you are today. Okay, so take me through a day in your life now. What does that look like? Um, it looks different every day, to be honest. Like, there is no... <laughs> I never know what I'm getting into when I get to work, that's for sure. Um, which is why I like working there. But... Typically, like on paper, I see six clients a day for sessions, for therapy sessions. They could be up to an hour, but they're usually not that long. Um, and then with the other two hours of my day, that's like, you know, uh, meetings, meeting with the mental health provider to talk about medications, like supporting my coworkers and just, get, you know, making sure we're all taking care of each other. We're a really tight-knit group. Um but yeah, I mean, I get to work and, you know, I have a schedule, but I'm also pretty much on call all day as far as crisis calls. So any of the inmates in my area, so the female ones are feeling suicidal, feel like they want to self-harm if they already are, have self-harm, stuff like that. Um, something like a family member dies, for example, I'll get called and I'll pretty much wrap up whatever I'm doing and go to them um, and just assess them. And, you know, sometimes we have to admit them to the infirmary if they can't be safe or I can clear them to go back to their cell, you know, anyway. So just like, like a mini session, like an emergency session. Um, so, you know, really crazy things happen. It is the prison we have a mental health unit uh, that I don't specifically work in, but there are some really intense behaviors, a really intense self-harming behaviors, overdosing. Um, people in prison are very, very creative. So if you want to hurt yourself, you can, you know, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, you see a lot of, kind of weird weird things you know I never thought I would see and it can be disturbing at times but um there's also kind of a level of excitement of not knowing where your day is going to take you and and who you're going to see and yeah that definitely sounds like you have some 
interesting days um, and no two days go quite the same. That's super insightful. So along those lines, what's the hardest thing about your career? It's so hard to say because it's just a hard career. Um, You know, I love it. I can't imagine doing anything else, but it is like emotionally can be really exhausting. You know, for at least six hours a day, I'm listening to people's life stories and using all of my empathy and listening, you know, really intently. And that could be exhausting. Um, But I mean, you know, I, I do things to help with that. I think what's hard specifically in corrections is just seeing people come back and come back again. Um, You know, this is not a system that's set up to help people, especially when most of our inmates are in for like drug related crimes and then they're coming and not really receiving drug treatment. Um, You know, that's not what I do or specialize in. So it's hard just to see that revolving door. It is so real. There are, I've seen so many people come and go even in my six months of working there. So it is hard. And some people you just feel helpless like there's some people who have such severe mental illness um whose needs just can't be met in the prison but don't have any other options and it is easy to feel helpless when when they keep repeating really intense behaviors or dangerous behaviors and there's just you feel like you can't do anything about it um but you know that i mean that's just the reality of the field i think the only other hard thing is that prison can be scary i've never felt unsafe um but there's always that potential that things could happen to me if I'm not careful. Um, you know, I have been like secondhand pepper sprayed multiple times. I, you know, like I'm around, like, you know, I've been close to that kind of stuff. And it is just scary to know that, you know, one person could be having a bad day and, and threaten my safety. So yeah, you are definitely not in an easy career field or even in an easy position within your field. Um, so what are some of those things you do? You mentioned that it's really hard mentally to give your mental energy to these inmates every single day. And then often, you know, you see them come back or struggle. So what do you do personally to take care of yourself in situations like that? I, um, I think, um, self-care is number one. Like that was just ingrained in our heads in grad school. Like how important it is to like take care of yourself, you know? Um, and just beyond the basic needs, like my professors were so adamant that's like you need something to do to like really like decompress. Um, for me, that's playing with my dog. I get home, I play with him outside, I take him on a walk, whatever, just like, you know, to reset and to remind myself I'm home, like I'm not taking my work home. Um, and besides that, I just think like humor. I can laugh at anything like just being able to go back after like a really weird session and talk to my coworkers, be like oh my gosh so and so just said the, like the weirdest thing or like what just happened you know it's really helpful to be able to share like a office space um, away from where i do therapy where it's just a really safe space to talk with my other two coworkers about like what the hell just happened because really really weird things happen and it's you know i can't i can tell my husband about it but i can't be as specific you know And so it's just nice to be able to let it out and laugh about it. Totally. Yeah, I love that. I'm sure it's nice to have those coworkers to vent to. Um, And then I guess on the flip side, what is the most rewarding part of your career? I mean, I like to think I'm making a difference in people's lives. I guess, I don't know. Um, But when I hear someone say like, wow, I've never looked at it that way before, like that just tells me I'm doing my job and makes me feel kind of validated, you know, Um, my job's not to tell anyone what to do. It's just to help them kind of connect those dots and see things maybe from a 
different perspective, like to look outside of themselves, right? And so when someone says that, it just makes me feel like, okay, maybe I do know what I'm doing. Um, you know, sometimes, and I just told an inmate this the other day, I've been working with her for a long time and she was like taking notes as we were talking and I said something and just kept kind of rambling on. She was like, well, that was, you know, what did you just say? That was really good. And I was like, I don't know what I just said. And I kind of like the Michael Scott thing. I just kind of sometimes start a thought and I don't know where I'm going. Um, but the fact that like it's working, I think like it's rewarding just to me to know that like, you know, that intuition is growing. Um, and, you know, I have seen, I have seen real change in, in my clients and seen them, you know, release some of their trauma or some of their anxiety or depression or whatever. And I don't take credit, but just knowing that I help them on that path. Um, it's so rewarding and, and I hope that it helps them when they leave prison too. Um, but you know, even in the moment, if they could just have a better stay and more productive stay and be able to like really work on themselves, I feel like that's the most rewarding thing. Wow. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I mean, like you said, there's obviously a lot of conversation in the media around prison reform and, you know, is that the best place for drug offenders, which I know is the majority of who you work with and, I don't know, from my side, it just seems really amazing the work that you're able to do to be a positive force in that person's life in a time where they're probably not getting a lot of positivity or support towards their goals. So I think that's really amazing. Right. And I will put in a plug that, you know, prison prisons are not rehabilitations. And, you know, like you said, yeah, most of my clients are in here for something drug related or parole violations, which a lot of times are also drug related. Um, and they're not getting the help they need, even with me, you know, I don't get to see people on a very regular basis. Um, and it's just not enough. So, you know, anytime you could like vote for some kind of reform, I <laughs> would encourage that because it, it's a revolving door on purpose and it's not, you know, nothing's changing. But that being said, I am really grateful that like, at least the state I'm in recognizes mental health as a right. Like even during this whole COVID thing, we've been meeting with people because it is so important and essential. Um, I just wish I could do more to help with recidivism, but in reality, I'm not. I'm just helping them while they're here. Definitely. Yeah, I think that is a really great point. Um, are there any skills or abilities that you have that you think make you an especially good fit for your current career? Um, I mean, I must. Like, I think I already said, I really can't imagine having any other career at this point in my life. Um. You know, I think I like mentioned like having a sense of humor and that's come into my work way more than I ever thought it would. Um, and I, what I found is like a lot of people I work with um, can also be kind of cynical and you can use it to an advantage in a therapy session to be able to laugh about things just, you know, when things get too intense, you can tell they're struggling to be able to like make fun of them in an appropriate way is actually, I found like really helpful, um, especially because I think a lot of people walk into a therapist's office and their anxiety just immediately goes up because like they don't know what they're about to talk about. They might be kind of scared, yeah. you know, especially in a prison setting. Like I'm like an other to a lot of them. Um, and so just, it helps me get more like of me and my client on the same level to show like, Hey, I'm not judging you. I'm not here to tell you what to do. Right. Um, so I think, you know, being able to laugh about things is so important, especially with, I feel like inmates have been through the most. And so like, you know, if they're going to tell you about some really intense childhood trauma, make a joke about it. And, and if you don't laugh, that's going to be really awkward. Like, you have to be able to find the humor. Um, I feel like I've always been really naturally empathetic. I know if I come across as, like, sassy and kind of, you know, yeah, just sassy all the time. But I really do truly feel 
for people. Like I remember from a very young age, like feeling like so much secondhand embarrassment for other people and like feeling nervous for other people and, you know, feeling sad. And um, you obviously need empathy to be a social worker um, and you could only fake it so much. So, you know, naturally feeling empathetic and seeing the people for who they are and wanting to help, I think is helpful. Um, I, um, I feel like a lot of things don't really phase me the way they should, which in this setting is really helpful, you know, to not freak out because someone just cut themselves really deep or swallowed something they weren't supposed to swallow is really helpful because it's obviously uh, really important to stay calm in those situations. And so if I'm going to go look at someone who just self-harmed, I can't like freak out even though internally I'm like, ah, you know? Yeah. So ability to stay calm and just roll with it, I think is helpful. Um, and same with like, you know, I feel like for whatever reason at work, like I'm able, you know, I could take people yelling at me, screaming at me, whatever, and just like not even care. I don't think that transfers into my personal life, but for some reason, like when I'm in the prison gates, like people can say anything they want to me and it does not affect me for the most part, right? I'm sure it does. Yeah. One day I'll have like the huge mental breakdown because of all of this. Um, for now, like, you know, I really am attracted to the chaos and to the like whole culture that the prison offers. And I think that's obviously helpful in this specific setting, but just in general for being th- like a therapist, I think, yeah, being empathetic and being able to laugh about things and joke with people and sense where they're at mentally. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like your day-to-day takes some serious skills in those departments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Do you feel like you have a good work-life balance in your current role? I feel like I have an okay work-life balance. I think there's always room for improvement. You know, I talked about self-care and the importance of that. And I think I could, I know I could be incorporating more. Um, I'm trying to like find new hobbies. I'm trying to find things I like to do. Sometimes you just come home and you're so exhausted. And the thought of cooking dinner or going on a walk or whatever is just like too much. Um, which I think is okay, but I would like to incorporate more like active hobbies into my life. Um, you know, I've been trying to work out more lately. I think that's really helpful, but as far as like not bringing work home, I feel like I'm pretty good at for the most part. I'll have our days, but you know, kind of resetting on my way home, I think I've gotten okay with, and that helps my life balance of not being stressed all the time. Or, you know, I, I've gotten, I feel like really good at leaving all the drama behind that's a positive. And yeah, I was thinking about this earlier. You were saying that you have your laptop at home and a separate computer at work. And I was thinking about this in the context of like my work and how I bring it home with me on a device every day, but I can really shut it off mentally when I need to. But for you, it feels like a lot of your work is mental with the conversations that you have. So to be able to leave a lot of that at work, not in the forms of a physical device, but mentally, I'm sure that can be really challenging at times. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, it would be nice just to, like, shut it like a laptop. Um, yeah. But it's going to get good at because, like, you you will absolutely 100% get burned out and not be able to do this kind of work if you can't separate, you know. And so I'm just trying my best, and I'm sure I'll get better over time, but it's hard. Yeah, I believe it. It definitely sounds like a major challenge. Um, so then to go along with that, I want to hear a little more about what you like to do when you're not working. Yes. When I'm not working, <laughs> I do have my puppy. I love him so much. She's the first person, well, not person, 
<laughs> I see when I walk in to greet me. Um, and that's just like right away, like a lot of stress goes away because I'm like literally excited to see my puppy every time I get home. I have a husband too who I also love and I'm excited to see. Um, so kind of doing things together. I love going out on walks. I love just taking Wally, my dog, to the backyard and playing with him. Um, I love to cook and bake, and I've really been slacking on that lately, but there's something very ther therapeutic about coming home and, like, making dinner and just, like, you know, I'll have, like, my AirPods in and just kind of be in my own zone. I don't let my husband help me most of the time because it's just kind of my time to, you know, focus on something. Um, I love to go shopping. I love to get out of the house, even though it's not very doable right now in COVID land and winter. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think mostly just anything involving like family or my home, I love doing. That's incredible. And I just want to call out that you make literally the best chocolate chip cookies ever. So definitely continue with the baking hobby. I think about them <laughs> all the time. Um, okay, so another work-related question. Do you have any big lessons that you've learned from any of your current or past jobs? I think, um, you know, like I said, like most things really don't phase me. And I've always been like from my very first day, because I also did an internship at the prison, which I should mention, like a huge part of school for social work is your practicums. And those are really important. Anyway, um, so when I started, at the, I stayed by the prison for six months. But in reality, I was there for eight months and then a little time gap and then officially for six months um and from day one I just feel like I felt like I had to like put on a brave face like not let anything phase me I didn't want to be like a scared intern I know like I know for a fact you know like custody will make fun of you for things and you know I just you know wanted to be like cool and chill and I think like the biggest lesson like you just don't have to put on a brave face all the time like it is okay it's not even just okay it's a good thing like you're supposed to have emotional reactions to big things like I should have an emotional reaction when I see someone who's really severely self-harmed. You know, I should have an emotional reaction when I hear about these really horrible traumatic childhoods. Um, and I know that if I don't have them now, I'm going to have them later. Like I said, you know, maybe just one day all at once, but I think it's important to be able to manage that, you know, like not have them in the moment necessarily, but there have been a couple of days where I've come home and just cried. And I think that's okay. Um, I think at first I like felt maybe embarrassed or like, I can't do this. I can't handle this. Um, but in reality, like it would be really abnormal to not have a reaction. And I don't want to be like that jaded therapist who just doesn't care. You know, I want to have like be human and have these emotions that I'm encouraging all my clients to have. So it's kind of a two way street there. So I think that's probably the biggest lesson. Like it's okay to react, maybe delay it a little bit if it, you know, if it's not appropriate, but it's okay. Like, you absolutely need to let yourself process and deal with the things you see because it, it really is disturbing sometimes. Definitely, yeah. I think, wow, that's a really good point and definitely a big lesson. So it's impressive that you're already on that path. Trying, yeah. <laughs> so where do you see yourself 10 years down the road career-wise? Um, so in 10 years, yeah, I really do think I'll still be a social worker. I'll still be a therapist. I could see maybe toning it down a little bit. Um, in, in about two years, I'll have a higher license where I can do like private practice kind of things. And even though right now that really doesn't interest me, I can see that being more um, of a thing I want to do 10 years from now. You know, I could do part-time or full-time 
private practice. I have a school social work license as well, so I could eventually end up in a school somewhere, um, literally anywhere. I feel like so many social workers I know have had so many different like kinds of jobs and worked in so many different fields that really anything is possible. Um, I love the prison. I don't think it's realistic for me to think I'm going to be there for 10 years. Like physically, I don't know where I'm going to be living in 10 years from now. You know, I'm still young and things are changing, but I, I really, truly believe I will still be a therapist. I'm just guessing not as intensely. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's nice that you have so many options, yeah. right? And you can really take your career so, in whatever direction you choose. And I could even at that point, you know, let's say I, I do stay at the prison at that point, I could easily be a supervisor or even a higher like admin level, um, which right now I wouldn't want to do, but I could see myself kind of going that direction as well. That's a great point too. You really have so many options, which is a nice place to be in because I mean, I don't think anyone has their life or career fully figured out by 24 or 25. No, definitely not. Yeah, I'm glad to be flexible. Yeah, I love that. That's really amazing. And I guess a follow-up to that would be getting a master's in social work. Do you feel like that degree specifically has opened a lot of those doors for you or do you feel like the decisions you made in where to work have been the bigger force behind opening a lot of those doors and options for yourself? I think choosing social work gave me that. Um, Yeah. You know, like I chose social work because I wanted to be a therapist. And that's, I think, the majority of the people in my program. But even then, like so many social workers aren't therapists. You know, you could go on to do more macro stuff. Like a lot of social workers are like on boards for like, you know, work in politics and a lot of different policies and lobby for things. And you know, we learned, we had so many classes about like how to keep up with current issues and laws and bills and all those kinds of things. Um, and just right from the get-go, I think my my teachers, my professors always made it so clear that like you're, you will never be stuck in one field, um, you know? So I think, you know, yeah, in ninth grade, I didn't picture myself, well, I didn't picture myself working in a prison, but I pictured myself, you know, sitting in an office, being with people all day in and day out. Um, but really it's so, I yeah, I, don't even have to have an office job. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, the master's of social work, even compared to other therapies like MFT, those kinds of things, I think really believe like that gives you the most options. That's a great point and really helpful to kind of make that distinction. Um, this next question is more of a compensation discussion and it's something that's not always talked about. So I want to break that down with you right now. Feel free to share as much or as little as you want to. So do you feel fairly compensated for the work that you do? Honestly, no. I, um, I'm making less money than I thought someone with a master's degree would make. That being said, I knew going into this field that this is not a field where you make a lot of money right away. Um, in all reality, the money is in private practice. And you can't really do private practice until you've been a therapist for longer you know, have all the licensing you need, know people, right? Like it takes a while to get there. Um, um, but then you also, I feel like in therapy, there's usually two different kinds of ways of getting paid. I guess three, there could be salaries. Like if I worked at a school, which I almost did, I would have been a salary pay. It was actually the best one, which was shocking to me because schools. Um, right. A lot of my friends who work at like just regular treatments, like not even treatment centers, like outpatient care, so people just come and go for their sessions, tend to get paid just per session, which means if someone cancels on you, you don't get paid for that hour. But all those mm-hmm. people make about $10 more an hour more than I do. So oh, there's wow. 
I'm an hourly pay. I'm a state employee. Um, you know, I, I get paid yeah, not as much as I, you know, would have wanted, but I get paid every hour I'm there. So when the prison goes into lockdown and I'm just sitting there, I'm getting paid. I'm getting paid, you know, when I'm at treatment team meeting, like, you know what I mean? So it, I feel like it evens out compared to my colleagues who only get paid by the session. Um, and I do get benefits. I'm a full-time employee, you know, like there's pros and I feel like lucky that I do have the benefits that I have. Um, but I do believe, I do, you know, believe that social work, not social work, like mental health in general is underappreciated, especially when it comes to like larger organizations like states or schools or whatever, um, and undervalued really. So I think, you know, you definitely, I don't, I don't know. I had a professor who really pushed, like you can make money, you can have a career out of this. You can support a family or whatever you are trying to do. Like you absolutely can. Um, but that being said, I'm really grateful. I'm in a two income household because where I'm starting at right now is not the most ideal. I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's good to have some level of transparency around this kind of conversation. It's clear that the work you do from what we've discussed is really, really important for the impact that you can have on individuals' lives. And hopefully the discussions around compensation for specialized skills will continue to evolve as the conversations around mental health and prison reform, which in ways like we've discussed today, really go hand in hand, continue to evolve. Right. So if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's considering becoming a social worker or mental health therapist right now, what would that advice be? So there's like obviously a lot of advice, but I think... <laughs> The one piece was that you don't have to stick with one field um, and you, which I kind of already talked about, and use school and volunteering and practicums to, to experience as many different fields as possible. Um, I think it's so great if you know going into your master's program exactly what you want to do. Like, truthfully, I knew I wanted to work in the prison at that point. But you don't know what else you're going to like or what other doors might be open to you when you do these practicums or internships or whatever. Um, so it, it is like guaranteed worth it to get your like foot in the door at, to as many organizations and places as possible, you know, keep all your connections from school. So you have people working all over, but I don't have a single professor who didn't work like in more than five different kinds of fields. And, you know, there's so many options, you know, there's so many medical social workers and hospice and old folks home and corrections and youth and residential treatment centers and school, you know what I mean? There's so many things. And I just don't know anyone who's always just been in one. Um, so, you know, my first practicum was at a school and then I went to prison. So we call it, <laughs> we call it the school to prison pipeline because I went from one right to the other, but it is so useful just to know, cause you know, I really thought I would like schools more than I did and I love schools, but it wasn't what I expected. And so I think it's just so important to like, yeah, it's great to know what you want. But don't limit yourself because you don't know what your future holds and what you're going to end up in. Um, so, yeah, you know, just keep it as diverse as possible you know, and be open to new situations. And, you know, you never know what connection you make now is going to help you out later down the road. For sure. That is amazing advice to keep all the doors open and experience as much as possible. Yeah. So last question is there a quote or saying that inspires you? Yeah, so I guess not. It's not like a quote, quote, but it's like my mantra yeah. that I've been doing since like I think senior year of college. 
which is this moment is just right. And I love it because you need to use it both in like the good times, the not so good times, right? So I remember like, like my first day of school, my first day of winter semester in grad school, I went out to my car and it's completely frozen shut and I was running late. I had already missed the train, all this stuff, right? And I'm like scraping my car and like the top of my ice scraper came off. So I like literally scraped my car, like have this like three foot long scrape on my trunk. And the whole time I'm like, this moment is just right. This moment is just right because things happen for a reason. I believe that. And like the moment, you know, it's happening. It's already happening. You can't do anything to change what just happened. And, you know, it's fine. And I think it's just all about acceptance. And that's what I try to get through to so many of my clients so that it's okay to accept things the way that they are. Like it's not admitting failure. It's not admitting wrongdoing. It's just okay to accept things like things just are. So, you know, the moment is just right. And what I'm trying to do is incorporate it more into positive moments. Cause I feel like I usually just keep it for like when things are not going my way, just as a reminder, but it's okay to also recognize that like you deserve good moments too. Right. It's okay. That this moment is just right. As I'm like, holding my little puppy or, you know, doing whatever I want to do because it is just right. Like we deserve all the good things that happen to us. So that's what I kind of try to sell on my clients and remind myself as well is that whatever's happening, it's okay. Cause it just is. I love that quote. That's such a powerful, simple thing to remember. Well, awesome. This has been such an amazing conversation and opportunity to dive into your career. I think you do really amazing work if you can't already tell and I'm super impressed. So thank you so thank much for coming you. on the podcast. It's been so much fun to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I think this podcast is such a good idea and you know, I wish there's something like this for me when I was choosing my career and knowing what to expect and all that kind of stuff. Totally agreed. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs>